Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, the verses 1 through 13. If you'd like to follow in the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 992. Let's read God's Word together. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds and power. Well, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, the Tower of Babel is a strange story. Strangeness is a theme for these Genesis tales. These stories may not be literal, but they do name certain realities, certain truths about being human, like the importance of seeing another human being as one who is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, like an awareness that seldom do we actually do what we believe is wrong. No, first we justify what we do is actually good. And as we said last week, the importance of choosing who we will be when the inevitable disappointments in life come to us. But what is the truth for us in this old story of the tower? It says they all had one language and the same words, and that evidently made God nervous. So God confuses the speech of human beings. Why? It seems that having the same language would aid in communication. 
If we all use the same words, then mutual understanding, perhaps even unity, would be enhanced, wouldn't it? Why is God so concerned when the human family only has one language? If I understand it, it has something to do with right-sizing us in the presence of God. Stay with me on that. In addition to the Tower of Babel story, we also read about Pentecost on this day of Pentecost, and it says there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites there, residents of Mesopotamia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Cretans, Arabs, languages from all over the known world were gathered that day. It was chaotic. Given that no one could speak the same language, God had to find a way for us to communicate, to understand one another. It took a miracle. It seems that what God did on Pentecost is address some unintended consequences from the Tower of Babel, that Pentecost is kind of the antidote to what God did at the Tower of Babel. It's all about language. It would be easier if everyone spoke the same language. We know that. Years ago, my father did a pulpit exchange with a guy named David. David was in Scotland, and so my father went to Scotland and lived in David's house and preached in David's church, and David came and lived in my dad's house and preached for his congregation. Since my dad and I lived in the same town at that time, he told David, look, if you have any questions about the house, just call Tom. He's probably not going to be any help, but call him anyway. (laughs) Well, he did. David called me up, and he said, "Uh, uh, Tom, it's David. I said, yes, David, how are you? He said, fine, but I can't find your father's torch. I said, I said, I'm sorry? He said, yes, I'm looking for the torch. I can't find your father's torch. I said, well, I'm not surprised. I, I, I don't think he's used a torch in quite some time, David. Um, and I began to think, wonder if my father's fire insurance was up to date. I said, why do you need a torch? He said, well, Tom, the lights aren't on. And I said, well, look in the drawer next to the washing machine. You'll find a flashlight there. He said, what's a flashlight? I said, oh, I think a flashlight is a torch. It would be easier if we had the same words. It would be easier if we spoke the same language. Otherwise, things get confusing. Why did God cause all this confusion? A confusion that it seems God had to repair at Pentecost. Several things. First, The Tower of Babel identifies the seductive temptation we all have to assume that what is a norm for me is a universal norm. When we surround ourselves with people who use the same words, think the same things, view the world the same way we do, there is a comfort in that, and that's not a bad thing. But it's tempting to assume that our view is a universal norm, at least for reasonable people. And the temptation when we meet folks who see something differently, speaks a truth differently, is to assume that the difference is deficient. 
You know what that's like. As a little kid, you go to your friend's house. Your buddy invites you over for the day. You're playing, but then lunchtime comes, and you go, you, you, your friend's mom serves a grilled cheese sandwich, and everybody knows you cut grilled cheese in triangles, but here she is cutting it in halves, and you find yourselves eating with Parthians and Medes and Elamites. It's confusing. <laughs> or you go to college. And you can't begin the day without making up the bed and hanging everything in the closet and putting everything away and in its place, but your roommate has, let's say, a more fluid organizational plan, sort of a visual approach to everything, and you're living with cretins. It's confusing. Or you get married, and you discover that your beloved has to have blinking lights on the Christmas tree, and everyone knows Jesus prefers the constant white lights. <laughs> and you don't know if you've married one from Pamphylia or not, but you know she's not from around here. When we surround ourselves with those who talk our talk, it's easy to assume that what is the norm for me is the universal norm. But that makes our worldview and therefore our faith too small. God doesn't want our faith to be small. So God confused the speech. So we would have to encounter different ways of naming the truth. That's first. A second spiritual lesson in this tower story is the danger of inappropriate pride that can be associated with the way I see the world. Fred Craddock was a great preacher of, a teacher of preachers in the past generation. He said he was on an airplane flying into Oklahoma City. Seated next to him was a young couple. He could tell they had been traveling, he said. So he asked, where where are you coming from? And they said, well, we were on vacation in Europe. He said, Europe, oh, wonderful. What were your favorite countries? She said, oh, they were all so beautiful, but my favorite place of all was the Alps. The Alps just took my breath away. I, I could have stayed there forever. The plane began to descend, and as the plane dipped down toward Oklahoma City Airport, this woman pulled a camera out of her bag, pressed it against the window, and began taking pictures. Fred said, pardon me, you've just come from the Alps, and you're taking pictures of Oklahoma? She looked at him and said, of course, Oklahoma is home. Love of home is a good thing. Cherishing the way of life that home taught us reveals a posture of gratitude, and that's a good thing. But sometimes gratitude can slide into arrogance, arrogance about our ways, and that is never a good thing. I've told you a number of times before that in the 80s, I traveled to Nicaragua. I stayed part of that time with a family there who had two boys, Marco and Jose. My Spanish was was limited. By limited, I mean I knew gracias, adios, burrito. (laughs) 
So like, unless I was in a situation where I needed to say, thank you for the burrito, I got to go, I, I, was, I was helpless. But Marco and Jose were patient guys. We sat for hours trying to communicate. Gestures, drawing in the dirt, a few words here and there. They were generous and patient. I didn't realize how generous they were until I returned home. When we landed from Nicaragua, we landed in Houston, and the first thing I wanted was a McDonald's Big Mac. It was the 80s. I've changed since then. But after two weeks of rice and beans at every meal, I wanted a Big Mac. I found a McDonald's in the airport, and I walked up. The, the guy in line in front of me was Latino. His English was limited. He was trying to order, and it wasn't going well. And the guy with the little paper hat on the other side of the counter looked at him and said, Look, there's a line come back when you can speak English. And he looked at me and said, how can I help you? I said, you know, I'm not hungry anymore. If I understand the text, it points out a spiritual temptation of arrogance. The assumption is that the ways of home are the ways of God. The ways of home are the right ways. God, fearing that, confused the language that we would have to encounter truth spoken in other ways. But there's a third and I think more important spiritual lesson here, and that is the consequence of not simply being unable to understand one another, but a more common practice of choosing not to understand one another. The text says they spoke, they all spoke the same language. Really? How could that be? When could that have been? They all spoke the same language? Sure they did. The only way for everyone to speak the same language is if some languages are not being heard. The only one for everyone to use the same words is if some voices are being silenced. I think this is the ultimate concern of the text. The effort to silent voices of our neighbors is as old as Genesis and as current as today's news. According to PEN America, over the last year, a majority of states in the nation have passed legislation to ban books from school curriculum and libraries. Again, according to PEN America, there are identifiable targets of this book banning. The effort is to remove the voices of people of color and of the LBGTQ, LBGTQ community. Books that address life among these neighbors or authored by these neighbors are finding themselves targets for book banning. Many of the books banned, I don't know. But as I look over the list, I've read a lot of them, and I am baffled. I am absolutely baffled 
why we wouldn't want our children to hear these voices. Perhaps these legislators will want to ban the book of Genesis as well, because as I understand it, the effort to construct a truth from my story alone, to construct truth from my experience alone, to construct truth from my words alone is exactly what God feared at Babel. To silence the voices of our neighbors is not loving and it's not holy. At Babel, God confused language. And at Pentecost, God bridged the differences of language. But the key is, God did not bridge this difference by giving everyone the same language. Know what God did. The miracle of Pentecost is that God gave God's own people the energy and the imagination and the desire to speak and to listen to those with different languages, with different voices, with different stories. God gave the capacity to speak and listen amidst the difference. The bridge was created by paying attention to others. This is a critical spiritual practice because when we surround ourselves with voices that are just like ours, the temptation is to assume that our thoughts are God's thoughts, that our words are God's words, that our ways are God's ways, that we know what there is to know about God. That is a dangerous place to be. That is why God confuses language so that we can be reminded that there are others who have different words and different experience, others who have different narratives, others who describe truth in different ways, and rather than silencing that truth, we should be curious. Curious, because it just may be the way God is teaching us about God. When I depend on my own words, my own truth, my own experience alone, it is inevitable that my understanding of God will be too small, which means my understanding of myself will be too large. So Babel is about right-sizing. It's reminding us that God's Word and way is always bigger than we think. And the best way to be reminded of that is to remember that there are others who have something to say. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.